everybody. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, last week, Pastor gave an outstanding uh, 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 message about uh, uh, the Sabbath. And uh, so, if you did not hear that message, uh, if you were not here, I want to encourage you to go to the website, uh, BellevilleSDA.com, and, uh, and check it out. Uh, just click on sermons. Um, but uh, so we, there's a lot of questions. It's a, that is a uh, controversial topic. And one of the uh, questions was uh, this text uh, in Colossians 2, uh, verses uh, 14 through 17. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, just turn to Colossians chapter 2, and we'll look at it. Colossians 2, uh, verses 14 through 17. And it says, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing, triumphing uh, over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. And so someone says, um, and actually uh, a lot of people out in Christendom uh, say, see, look, this is uh, saying that we don't have to keep the Sabbath anymore uh, because it was done away, nailed to the cross. Okay, so first... Uh, first thing that we need to understand is the Bible doesn't contradict itself. Um, and if it seems to contradict itself, then it's only because of our lack of understanding. In other words, we're not understanding the text properly. Uh, because if God contradicted, if the Bible contradicts itself, then how can we have any faith in it, right? Okay, so in, in Ecclesiastes, and please just write these texts down, I mean, but uh, I'm going to kind of flip through them really quick. In Ecclesiastes 12, it says, Let us hear, verses 13, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter for God. Fear God and keep his com uh, commandments, for this is the whole duty of man, for God shall not bring every work into judgment. For God shall, excuse me, God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Okay, so God's commandments are the measuring stick for the judgment. Uh, so it's very unreasonable to think that Jesus would do away with that. Amen? Amen. Okay, so, so what does it mean? I mean, Jesus himself said uh, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 17, he said, Think not that I come to destroy the law, but I come to fulfill it. And then he went on to say that heaven and not one jot or one tittle shall pass away uh, uh, from the law until heaven and earth pass away. So, you know, if heaven's still here and earth is still here, God's law is still here. Um, so, again, what is it talking about? Um, it's talking about uh, a law that was against us. Are the Ten Commandments against us? Is the law that says thou shalt not kill, is that against us? 
Um, and, and not unless you're planning on committing murder, then I would say yes, the law is against that. <laughs> uh, but uh, so God's commandments are not against us. In fact, uh, back in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6, speaking about the commandments, it says, And the Lord commanded us to, in verse 24, The Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is at this day. Um, so, so God intended his commandments to be a blessing. That He meant it for our good. Uh, they're not against us. But what is it talking about, the laws that was against us? So, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32. And we'll look at, uh, verse, start in verse 24. And it says, And it came to pass, when Moses had made an end to the writing of words uh, of this law in a book until they were finished. And that Moses commanded the, Levite, the Levites, which are bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law and put it in where? The side of the ark. Put it in the side of the ark, the covenant of the Lord your God, and it shall, and that it may be there for a what? A witness against thee. Okay, so, so what was in the ark? What was actually in the ark? The Ten Commandments. Were the Ten Commandments written by, who, who wrote the Ten Commandments? And they were written with God's finger. No man wrote the Ten Commandments. That's the only part of the Bible that a man didn't write. God wrote the Ten Commandments with his finger in stone. Um, so, you know, when, when, you, when you go to uh, uh, Washington, D.C., you see that big wall, a memorial for the Vietnam vets. All those names on that wall. Why did they put all those names there carved in stone? It would be a permanent mark. They, they meant it to, to last forever. So, a, a memorial. Okay, so when you put something in stone, it's meant to stand forever. Amen? Okay, so on the other hand, Moses wrote the law, uh, the book of the law, and it was against us. Why was it against us? Because when you read through Deuteronomy, uh, God's warning them. Because let me, let me continue reading. For I know, in verse 27, for I know thy rebellion and thy stiff neck. See, God was telling him, look, you guys are rebellious, you're stiff-necked, and, you know, I'm giving you a warning, and I'm putting this law here to be, and when, you know, when this comes to pass, it's going to be against you. Um, and he was trying to warn them so that they wouldn't do the, that. He wanted them to, to do right. And so, but, uh, but God knows all things. So, so let's look, uh, also, uh, it talked about meat and drink and ordinances. So if you go to Levit Le 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 uh, Leviticus 23, Leviticus 23,
and starting in verse 3, first you have the, the reiteration of the Sabbath commandment, fourth commandment. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of rest and holy convocation. You shall do, not, you shall do no work therein, and is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. This stands apart from all what follows. Okay, because after what follows, it goes into all the feast days, the annual feast days, which were called holy convocations or Sabbaths. Um, and I want you to notice something about verse 3. There's no ceremony. There's no sacrifice attached to it. But if you look at all these other feast days, like Passover, First Fruits, Feast of Weeks, there were always cer uh, ceremony attached to it, which included a sacrifice. Um, and so, uh, let's see, uh, let's look at uh, verse 32. Verse 32. And it shall be unto you a Sabbath of rest, speaking of uh, the Day of Atonement. Uh, and ye shall afflict your souls in the ninth day of the month of, at even and even unto even shall ye celebrate what? Your Sabbath. Your Sabbath. See, God gave them these annual feast days, and each one taught them something different about the plan of salvation. Uh, and so that's why he wanted them to do this. And each one of these feast days included an animal sacrifice, and which pointed towards Christ, who was, as according to John the Baptist, what he always would say, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Jesus was the Lamb. So they were looking forward to what Jesus would do on the cross. So drop down to uh, verses 37. Uh, These are the feasts of the Lord, which he shall proclaim to be holy convocations, to offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord, a burnt offering, and a what? A meat offering, a and a? sacrifice and drink offerings everyone everything upon his day then look at verse 38 what does it say besides the sabbath of the lord so god here is making a distinction so these feast days he says they're your sabbath talking to the children of israel but then he wants them to keep them besides the sabbath of the lord the seventh day Sabbath is always the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. God always speaks of it as my holy day. So now let's go back to uh, Colossians chapter 2 and read it one more time with a little bit more understanding. Blotting out the handwriting, not the finger writing, of ordinance that was against us, that book of the law that was kept in the side of the ark, which was contrary to us, why was it contrary to us? Think about if you, every time you sinned, you had to sacrifice an animal. Would that be contrary? There was no ever a sacrifice that God gave for keeping the seventh day Sabbath. The Sabbath doesn't point forward, it points backward to creation. It is a memorial to God's creative power, which he, that same power uses that same power to recreate us into his image. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, uh, Behold, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature. So, so that's what it's talking about. Uh, so the Sabbath was a memorial pointing backwards to creation. 
so again, let's continue reading. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he makes a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in, in what? Meat and or drink or in respect of in holy day. Talking about these feast days, these annual feast days, which always happened on a date. Just like Christmas happens on the 25th of December every year, it's always on a different day uh, of the year, right? That's the same thing with these uh, ceremonial Sabbaths. Uh, in respect of a holy day, or of a new moon, or of Sabbath days. See that? It's a plural word, days. And to clarify it even more, Paul goes on in verse 17. He wants to make sure we're clear on what he's talking about. Which, which are a what? Shadow of things to come. See, every single one of these feasts pointed to something and and uh, to something that's going to happen uh, in in regards to not only uh, the cross the salvation uh, our salvation but also in the end days the second coming of Christ so these things are a shadow when we study the feast days we learn a lot about what God's intentions what his plans are uh, and uh, it's really powerful but thank God we don't need to sacrifice animals anymore so is that clear all right, I'll turn it over to the pastor. All right, thank you, Greg. All right, good evening, everyone. Good. Uh, am I on? Can you hear me back there? I think so. Okay, good. All right, well, um, two things are sure in life. Do you guys know what those are? Death and taxes, that's right. But uh, for your sake and for my sake, I'm not going to be talking about taxes tonight. We're going to talk about, some, we're going to talk about death, all right? So um, I didn't want to bore you and put you to sleep uh, in talking about taxes. So plus uh, the Bible has little to say about that. And God said, uh, Jesus said, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and God's what is God's. And so that's... Uh, that's about all he had to say about taxes. <laughs> but uh, tonight we're going to spend some time talking about uh, Jesus solves death's mystery. All right, and before we do that, let's say a word of prayer as we normally do. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to worship uh, this afternoon or this evening and uh, ask that you would just uh, bless. We open your word. Bless us as we, um, as, as we seek to understand this subject, this important subject. And... Uh, Give us wisdom, give us understanding. Speak through me, Lord. Send your Holy Spirit to give us unity and, uh, and knowledge and uh, grace. In uh, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so can we find hope that goes beyond the grave? What really happens at death? The question of what really happens at death has a solid biblical answer. And now I recognize that even Christians and non-Christians look at this subject in a very different way. And uh, some religions believe in reincarnation. Some secular people believe that death uh, is the end and that we have nothing beyond the grave to look forward to. 
if you ask most Christians what happens when you die, they would say that the person has a soul that goes to heaven or to hell at death. And others might believe in purgatory or a, an in-between step. But, and so our death and are, are the dead asleep waiting in the, in, uh, in the grave on the resurrection for when Jesus comes to, uh, to take them home or are they already in heaven? And if he is in heaven, does the soul have eyes? Can it speak? Does it have a mouth? Does it have ears? If a soul has eyes and a mouth and ears and you can see it up in heaven, then why does it have to come back for the body? And so there are all kinds of confusing questions when it comes to this subject. Uh, people are very confused and, and perplexed at, this, at the subject of death and what happens when you die. Is the soul immortal? Or is there a resurrection? You see, if the soul is immortal, then it could go to either heaven or hell immediately after death. And if the soul is immortal, then the dead could actually talk to the living. The whole issue of death has to do with the question of immortality. Do we have immortality now? Will it, or will it be given to us at the second coming of Jesus? But where can we find all the answers to all these questions that we have, all the questions that we've posed? The Bible, that's correct. And so you all agree that uh, when, we, when we need to understand something better, we don't just talk about it and say, what do you think and what do I think? We go to the Bible, right? Amen. So this subject or this statement up here, if it's in the Bible, I believe it. If it disagrees with the Bible, it's not for me. We can all agree with that, right? All right, and so the Bible gives us dependable answers to the question, what happens when you die? It reveals not only what happens when you die, but also how to face death with new hope and confidence. Has anyone ever built a fence before? Anyone built a fence? All right, uh, well, if, if you don't know how to build a fence, never built a fence before, then you, uh, you have to do the fence post first, right? You put the... You put the, the corners out there and then you, you put a line out so you make sure it's all uh, in a straight line and then uh, you, you make sure that um, it's you know, the right height and you know, that it's not leaning one way or the other way and you just dig those holes, you put those fence in there, uh, fence posts in there, you fill it back with dirt or you, you know, if you're doing concrete, you, know, you, you put that in there and so you want to make sure that it's all straight. Nobody likes a crooked fence, right? And so you have to line up the fence posts. And so what we're going to start doing here right now is we're going to start lining up the fence posts because the fence posts, they represent truth. What would happen if you found a fence post that was, you know, uh, that was crooked or you found two or three that were crooked, like the picture up here? Would you take all the other fence posts and, you know, just kind of lean it over to the side, you know, just, just to, you know, to make it all match? right? No, you don't take the, the straight ones and make them crooked like the crooked one is. You straighten the crooked one up, okay? And so the, the, the uh, subjects that we, we've been discussing night after night and that we're going to continue discussing uh, from here on out, they're going to be like fence posts. And so we have to line up the fence posts of truth. So you, as, as I go throughout tonight and, and the remaining nights, you may, you may have a question and you think, well, 
why is, uh, if that's the case, then what about this other subject? Okay, well, if that's the case, well, what about this other subject? Well, that means we have to re-examine this other subject and make it line up with the other fence posts. Right, is everybody with me? You guys understand? Okay, good. You know, because we, we have a crooked fence, then we have crooked truth, and that's error. We don't want error. And when it comes to the subject of death, there are really two different ideas in the Bible that you can find, or at least it appears that way, that there are two different, uh, two different ideas. And so you have to, they, when you look at them, they disagree with each other. And you have to ask, okay, well, which one is correct? Which way do I believe? Do I believe in this one or this one? And really, to, to be honest, you can, find, uh, you can find proof in the Bible for each one. They don't agree with each other, so you can't say, I believe in both. It really has to be one or the other. And I want to follow what the Bible says, don't you? All right, good. And so here is a list of all 60 of the texts on the topic of death in the Bible. Now, you see there's only 30. That's because that's all that would fit on the screen. The next one has the... the uh, the others there. So if you want to take a picture of that, now would be the time to do that. You can look them up on your own. I'll leave it up there for a couple of seconds and then uh, I'll move on to the next screen so you can take a picture of, of that. But these are all the texts that talk about death in the Bible. And uh, there are 60 uh, that I found. Now there may be one or two lingering or hanging around uh, somewhere that uh, has not been discovered. This isn't just my, my list here. This is uh, a list that uh, a friend of mine as a scholar has, has compiled. Okay, so there's the 30, there's the, the second 30 there, 31 through 60. Uh, so you can take that picture as well. All right, everybody good? All right. All right. Back to the first one, there it is. That's the first one. That's the first one. Everybody ready to go? Got him. Okay. All right. There's the second one. And now the two different ideas are this up on the screen. There's idea B and our idea A and idea B. The dead go to their reward at death and man's soul never dies. That's idea A. Idea B is dead people are sleeping unconsciously and the dead know nothing and are waiting in the grave for the second coming of Jesus to receive their reward. Man's soul is mortal and dies. That's idea B. B. And so they both cannot be correct, but if you believe that the Bible does not contradict itself, then we come to a problem that we cannot throw some text out and just so we can adopt one, and uh, the one that we are most comfortable with, or maybe the one that we've believed our whole lives, maybe what's what our parents and our grandparents believed, no, we need to go with what the Bible says, but we can't throw out those other texts, so we're faced with a dilemma, and we need to figure out what the Bible actually teaches. Well, if, what if the texts here, uh, sorry, if, so if you divide both of them up, there's actually an idea, idea A, there's nine texts that support it, and the other 51 support B. I'm going to show that to you, okay? All right, so um, what if the text represents stones on a path as you're crossing the river. Which, uh, which one would you want? You would want more stones, correct? And, uh, or if you know, that would keep your feet dry. <laughs> you, don't want, you don't want to have to hop to the, from one stone to the next. You want to be able to walk across easily. Uh, or maybe they're boards on a walking bridge. 
and uh, between two cliffs. And uh, on, for, you, you want more boards so you can get across safely. Uh, another example would be in a court case. Which one do you want? You want the one that has the most evidence, correct? You want to go in that direction. So it, it would be much easier to find support or, or, or to follow the evidence of the 51 texts. And then with the nine, though, you can't throw those out. So we need to be able to answer what those nine are really talking about. Are they, are they in fact, disagreeing with the other ones or have we misunderstood them? And so uh, we need to... We need to examine these things. But let's say that since some of these texts in idea B are saying uh, the same thing. For example, uh, uh, there are several of them that actually say someone is sleeping in death with their fathers. Like uh, David and, uh, and some of the kings and stuff like that. And so let's say, let's just go ahead and count those as one since they're basically saying the same thing. All right, so then how many texts do we have on the B side? Uh, well, you come down to 26 texts, okay? So from 51 to 26 because uh, 3 through 28 uh, are actually saying the same exact thing, uh, sleeping with their fathers in death. And so if we wanted to uh, guess, or if we wanted to take it even a step further, let's say that the, you, you want only the texts in the New Testament, all right? So we get rid of one on the uh, idea A side. We only have eight texts. And then on B, though, we still have 14 texts. We still have more evidence on the B side. Well, we want to... <laughs> what, what would make the most sense is still following the one that has the most evidence. Right? So we, we need to figure out what the Bible actually says. And the, we see that the majority so far, just by looking at the, the text in the, in, the, in the way that I've showed them, is that the majority is pointing to idea B and that uh, um, hang on so the, pointing to idea B and um, and so what we do with what do we do with the other text we can't just throw those out we're going to spend the next three days especially in uh, going through these nine texts here from idea A uh, in we're going to start tonight and continuing on, we're going to go through, they're not going to be all in order, but what we're going to do is attempt to line up the fence posts so it all makes sense. And uh, let's begin with the words of Jesus. The very first chapter in the book of Revelation introduces us to a glorious person, the person of Jesus Christ. He was dressed in a glowing white robe his eyes were flames of fire. And Jesus identifies himself in this way. Revelation 1.18 I am he who lives and was dead and beyond, and I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Or Hades and of death. Hades does not mean hell. Hades means the grave. And so Jesus went into the grave and he came out. He has the keys to the grave. Any believer who dies... And, uh, and rests in Jesus can look forward to that resurrection. The Bible reveals the truth of the resurrection throughout its pages. It points forward to the second coming of Christ when Jesus comes and the dead are resurrected as Jesus promised. And somebody says, but what does the Bible teach about the idea of the immortal soul? Well, let's go back to Genesis 
in the creation week to find a clue as to what happens when a person dies. Maybe if we understand what happened at, cre at our creation, we can understand something about what will happen at our death. And so the Bible says in Genesis 2 verse 7, it says, And the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils of life and man became a living soul and so you see three things there there is the uh, the dust of the ground the breath of life and then man becomes a living soul and so does the Bible say that God put man or put an immortal soul into Adam does it say that no it doesn't instead it reveals the formula for the human being there is the dust plus the spirit the breath of life uh, equals a living soul or we could describe it another in another way the elements of earth plus the breath equals a living being and so if you, you look at that text that is from the King James Version living soul uh, some other Bible versions use the, ter the term living being okay so it uses them interchangeably a living soul is a living being and uh, somewhat you know like we where we get the term human being right so we're gonna build that case and explain that a little bit more here it says a living soul means a living person Adam became a living being or a living person you see as a living soul is a living person I don't have a soul I am a soul a living creature a person and so are you what is this soul is it immortal or can it die well Again, we go back to the Bible in Ezekiel 18, verse 4. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father, as well as the soul of the Son, is mine. The soul who sins shall, what? Die. So can the soul die according to the Bible? Yes. Because it says, the soul that sins, it shall die. It shall what? Die. Yes. And so there is another name for soul in the Bible that surprises some people and that is person or life so this verse says that the person who sins shall die notice this verse and how the words life and soul are used interchangeably Matthew 16 25 and 26 it says for whatever for whoever desires to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it for what profit is it to a man if he gains his whole gains the whole world loses his own soul or what will a man give in exchange for his soul and so it uses the that that term there life and soul interchangeably only god is immortal mortal means subject to death god is immortal he is the only one and immortal means imperishable the bible never uses the terms immortal soul or Im immortality of the soul especially when speaking about human beings look at this in first Timothy 117 now to the king eternal immortal invisible to God who who alone is wise be honor and glory forever and ever amen and so the king is immortal in other words God is immortal you and I we receive immortality at when Christ comes at the second coming the Bible says this mortal shall put on immortality. Yes. All right, so 1 Timothy chapter 6, not 1 Timothy chapter 1. 
And, uh, and so when, it, when it, I come to Christ, he gives me the, eternal, or the gift of eternal life that dwells in my heart right now. But the gift of immortality, it comes at the second coming of Christ. And so here it is, 1 Timothy 6, uh, 15 and 16. It says, He is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Potentate is just a, uh, a fancy word for monarch or ruler, king, emperor. Uh, it says, Who alone has immortality dwelling in unapproachable light? So who alone has immortality? God, not the human being, not you and I. God alone has immortality, the one that dwells in the unapproachable light. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Bible is clear about this matter of immortality. You see, pagan Greek philosophy taught that the soul is immortal. You see, the, the Greeks taught that the soul could live separately from the body. They taught that the soul was a distinct entity which had life on its own. The Bible teaches that human beings are an integrated unit, physical, mental, and spiritual. These components are inseparable. The Bible teaches death is like a sleep. The believer who dies is as secure as he were if he were sleeping in the arms of Jesus. Resting from the heartache of disappointment and disappointment of earth until the glorious resurrection morning. But spiritualism and the New Age philosophies also teach that the soul is immortal. Spiritualism teaches that when you die, there is this essence of you that lives on. And you can come back and communicate with the living. Friends, do you see how this is a bad idea, a deadly idea? The devil can use these false ideas about death to deceive us. I'll share with you a, a couple of uh, stories that uh, true stories about this. and uh, when um, there was a mother who or sorry a child who got ran over by a car and, and uh, she she died she was you know seven eight or so and and uh, of course the mother was heartbroken and after the funeral uh, the mother she, uh, she goes home, and uh, she just goes up to the little girl's room upstairs, and she's goes into her, as she goes into the room, she's kind of looking at her things, and she's just feeling so lost and empty uh, with grief. And then all of a sudden, she hears the, the school bus. It, uh, it, it, it drives up at the end of the school day. And then she hears some kids getting off, and you know she remembered how her little girl would get off the school bus and would run to her home, run up to the home and come inside. And and so she, as she heard that going on. She looked outside and she saw her daughter. She saw her daughter that she had just put in the grave only a few hours before, and she was running towards the house like she had just gotten home from school. And she uh, she walked in the door. She walked up the steps. You know she heard the steps and she's trying to. You know, is this a bad dream? You know, what, what, what just happened? You know, I know I just buried her. She knew what the Bible taught about uh, what happens after you die. And so then, but then her little girl walks in the door to her room. And she says, oh, mommy, I missed you today. How are you? And, uh, and she gives 
her mommy a hug. And so this mother, she's overwhelmed with grief, and she hugs her, and then she realizes, this is not my daughter. And she says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to leave because I know you're not my daughter. And immediately she was gone. Another story uh, was about a, a son who went off to war. He went off to, uh, to fight in the war, and then uh, it wasn't long. It was the only son uh, of the mother. The father had already passed away, but uh, when the gentleman came from the military and their, um, their nice uniforms, they came to let her know that their son had been killed in action. And, of course, she was overwhelmed with grief as well. And she was, um, didn't really know what the, the Bible taught about the, what happens when you die. But um, anyway, she thought you know, up to heaven and, and all this stuff. And so then she, uh, after the funeral, sometime after the funeral, she, she's sitting in her room and looking up at a picture that she had at the foot of her bed of her son. And uh, she was just kind of thinking about him, kind of talking to him also. And then all of a sudden, her son shows up by her bed and just starts talking with her. As, as I'm standing here just like this, just starts talking to her. And she says, uh, oh, you know, oh, what? how'd you get here? He's like, oh, Mom, I just I, I wanted to come and tell you that I'm okay. You know, I'm in heaven now, and everything is good. I'm safe. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to, you know, just come and encourage you and, and, you know, spend some time with you. And so, you know, she was so happy that her son came to visit her and to let her, let her know that she was, he was doing okay and he would come night after night and they would visit together and she would, he would tell her things about heaven and, uh, and then he started to tell her, you know, mom, I don't know why you read your Bible all the time. You, you don't need to read it. You know, everybody, gets, everybody goes to heaven and uh, you, know, you, don't, you just don't need to worry about those things anymore. Don't, don't worry about reading it and so she quit reading her Bible. And uh, and so then this, this went on for several weeks. And then all of a sudden, about the same time when he would normally show up, she hears a knock on the door. And she said, well, who could be here this time? You know, so she goes, uh, goes downstairs and opens the door, and there's her son standing right in front of her. And she says, what, what are you doing down here? Why did you make me come open the door? I, you normally show up by my bed. And... Uh, he said, Mom, what are you talking about? He said, they thought I was dead. I was missing in action. They thought I had died. But I'm not. I'm here. And then she realized she had been duped. That the person showing up was not her son. But yet, had the same mannerisms, obviously looked like him, had the same memories. You see, the, the devil can impersonate. His evil angels, they can masquerade as our dead loved ones. They can bring us so-called messages from beyond the grave. They can mislead us into accepting Satan's lies. Here's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. It says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Amen? When God created Adam, he placed his breath within him, not an immortal soul. In Genesis 2.7, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils 
the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So death is creation in reverse. What happens when a person dies? What happens, or what is it that goes back to God exactly? Does the Bible say that the soul goes back to God? No, it, say, it says what goes back to God is the spirit. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. So the body goes to the dust, but this, this spirit that goes back to God is, some, is not something that is conscious. It is the breath or the power of God that returns to God. God has preserved the identity of that person in his mind. The Old Testament word, Hebrew word for spirit is ruach, which means breath. So spirit and breath are the same thing, not spirit and soul. A lot of people, they get these two things confused. They think that the spirit and the soul are the same thing, but friends, that is not so. The spirit and soul are different. God forms man out of the dust of the ground that is his body, and then God breathes into man ruach, the Hebrew word for spirit or breath. And then man becomes a living soul, a living being. So, and if you look at the, this list up here, this is all the time that the word ruach is used in the Old Testament. 379 times it is used in the Old Testament. So far as man is concerned, in the, this 379 times that the word ruach is used in the Old Testament, it never denotes an intelligent entity apart from the physical body. When a person dies, the, the body goes to the dust. The spirit of life or breath, the power of life goes back to God who gave it. Now, notice how the Bible teaches that the breath and the spirit are the same thing. Job 27, verse 3. All the while my breath is in me, and the spirit of God is in my nostrils. So, what is in your nostrils? The spirit of God. Is that something that thinks and reasons? When you go like this, are you getting rid of the, this conscious uh, entity no <laughs> it is the breath that God gives you maybe I can illustrate it with this light bulb now to get illumination I need this bulb but I need more than a bulb the bulb represents the body but if I'm going to have illumination or light I need power I need electricity to the light bulb the light bulb alone does not give me light. I need power, correct? So the power represents God's spirit or God's breath. The power comes through the cord into the bulb and that produces what? Light, correct, illumination. And so what happens when you unplug the light bulb? The light goes out. The power goes where? It goes back to the powerhouse. So when we stop breathing or in our heart our heart stops beating, we die. You may think, well, what about those people who you hear stories about that when they die, uh, maybe they're on their way to the hospital and they, their heart stops, or maybe they uh, are on the operating table and their heart stops, they die, 
and then they're brought back to life. Oftentimes they'll have stories of you know, walking into the light or maybe they encountered uh, Jesus or maybe they spoke to a dead loved one. So what do you do about this? Maybe you've heard about that book, Heaven, Heaven is Real. Uh, it came, became a movie just a, a couple of years ago. Well, what's interesting is uh, everybody believed that to be true, except it wasn't long before the author of that book uh, claimed, told, finally confessed to everyone that he made it all up, that none of that ever happened. And so what really happens then you know, why do some of these people experience these things? Well, you've heard the mind is the last thing to go. It's true. Scientifically, the brain is the last thing to go. Your heart can stop, but your brain is still firing electrical pulses there. And so, the last thing that you would know after your heart has stopped is whatever is kind of going on in the subconscious uh, of your brain. And then when they revive you, that's the first thing that you remember. Does that make sense? So there's a scientific reason why that happens, and uh, we just have to go by what the Bible says, and science backs it up. So since the power to create life is with God, then the, His Spirit, which gave life, returns to Him. So is there any consciousness in death? Well, what does the Bible say in Psalms 146.4? It says, His breath goeth forth, He returneth to his earth, in that every that very day his thoughts perish. Okay, so this is the King James Version. Here's the modern English version. It says his breath leaves him. Okay, one said the other one says breath, breath leaves him, he returns to the earth, and on that day his plans perish. Here's another one here in the new King James Version. It says his spirit departs. Remember the first other two was breath. His spirit departs. He returns to his earth. In that very day, his plans perish. The Amplified Version, it uses, uh, it kind of basically says the same thing, except instead of plans or instead of uh, thoughts, it uses his plans and his thoughts perish. And so it combines them in the Amplified Version. But notice the interchangeable word with spirit and breath here. Ecclesiastes 9, 5 and 6, it says, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know how much? Nothing. The dead know nothing. Why not? Because at death their thoughts perish and there is no longer any consciousness in them. They are resting. They're secure in Jesus. Also their love and their hatred and their envy are now perished. It says here in Ecclesiastes. And if the soul went to heaven when, when, it when you died, at least you'd think there would be love for God, right? Well, the Bible says their love, their hatred, and their envy have now perished. And so there's no more love at that point. Death, it's because death is as a sleep. The Bible uh, teaches that death is like a sleep and lasts until Christ's second coming. Bible writers declare that death is asleep more than 50 times in the Bible. Look at this, Psalms 13, verse 3. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God, and lighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. You can't get any more clear than that. The, in the Bible, death is a rest. In the Bible, there is no immortal soul. Well, you, if you've 
doubted me up until now, don't, don't doubt Jesus, because we're going to look at a story that Jesus uh, was involved in and what he said. Okay, so listen to it from the words of Jesus. But uh, just to tell you what we're talking about here, one day Jesus and his disciples, they were traveling to visit the home in, of his friend Lazarus. And Mary and Martha, they, uh, they uh, were Lazarus' uh, uh, sisters. And then he gets the news that Lazarus had become very sick. And then he gets news Lazarus had died. Jesus waited for three days before arriving at the home when he heard that he had died. It ended up being four days when he heard he was sick. And then, you know, three more days after that, four days before he finally got there. And while they were on their way, Jesus made this statement. In John 11, 11 through 14, it says, Oh, friend Lazarus, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. And then the disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, and, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. You see, they were confused, and then Jesus clarified that sleep and death are this, were the same thing. That's what Jesus was talking about. For Jesus and all Bible writers, death is but a sleep. Jesus then visited Lazarus' home. He decided to raise him from the dead as a demonstration of his power. This would become a powerful testimony of his resurrection power for all humanity at the end of time. Listen to what Jesus said to Martha here in John eleven twenty three. Your brother will rise again. Now notice the words very carefully. Jesus didn't say to Martha, Martha, good news, praise God. Martha, don't cry because Lazarus, his soul is up in heaven. Is that what Jesus said to Martha? No, not at all. What did Martha believe about death? Continuing on, 24, verse 24 and 25, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at when? The last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Martha, who received her religion directly from Jesus, believed her brother would be resurrected in the last day when Jesus comes again. Jesus worked a miracle in raising Lazarus from the dead to demonstrate that he can wipe away every tear from our eyes at funerals too. So Jesus came to that tomb and said, Lazarus, what do you say? Come forth. Lazarus was sleeping. He was resting in God's love and care. And Lazarus came out of the grave alive. But let's suppose that Jesus came to that grave, and if what many people believe is true, Lazarus is up in heaven. Now, Jesus would have said, Lazarus, what? Come down. Now, I'll tell you something. If I were Lazarus, and I had been up in heaven for three or four days, and Jesus said, come down, I would have looked down, and I would have said, Lord, not me. 
I just got up here. <laughs> Lord, I, I really don't want to come back. I would like to stay where I'm at. Thank you, though. But I, I, it's much nicer up here. Yeah. Come on up here. That would have been pretty cruel for Jesus to make him come back if he was up in heaven. But let's say he was a bad guy. Lazarus was a bad guy. Jesus was still trying to reach him. He hadn't been reached yet. And let's say that he was down in hell. What would he have said? Lazarus, come up. When he got there, do you, don't you think he would have been, he would have, Woo oh man, it was hot in there. I'm so glad you got me out of that. Thank you so much, man. No, he didn't say either of those things. He didn't say any of that. Because he was asleep. He was resting. You know, if what people believed is true, Lazarus should have written a whole book in the Bible about the glories of heaven. But Lazarus was silent about heaven. He was silent about hell or purgatory or whatever other belief there is. Why? Because he was sleeping until the resurrection. Exactly like Jesus said and exactly what Martha believed. It's wonderful to know that God has marked the grave of that husband or wife, that child, that father, that mother. It's encouraging to know the, that the heartaches of earth that we were so troubled with are over for them. What can be more reassuring than to know that they are just as if they were uh, cradled in the arms of Jesus in a perfect state of bliss until the resurrection. Now, I had a, I had a medical procedure uh, last year that um, they gave me some uh, medication to help me sleep, to knock me out. And uh, they gave me some Verset as well. And man, by the time the procedure was over, like, I was like, man, that was the best sleep I've ever had. I said, can you send me home with some of that stuff? Because that was, man, I slept so good. I, hadn't, I don't remember the last time I slept that good. Right? Well, those who have been asleep awaiting the resurrection, it, it, it'll, it, that's the best sleep that they will have, have ever had. That's why it says rest in peace. You see the RIP on tombstones? Rest in peace. That's where that came from. It's not up in heaven, watch down on me. Rest in peace. Look at Job 14.21. If his sons are honored, he does not know it. If they are brought low, he does not see it. And so if... I've had people say to me, Oh, you know, I just love to think of my mother up in heaven looking down at me. But what if... You have a husband that abuses you. And your mother is up in heaven watching that abuse. Would you want your mother watching that? What if a mother is up in heaven and her child goes astray? He's shooting drugs in his veins and he's ruining his life. Do mothers in heaven bear all this grief of their children's problems on earth? Friends, God is too merciful for that. They're asleep in the grave. They don't know anything right now. Death is a state of perfect rest or sleep until the resurrection when Christ wakes us up and says, 
now all the sorrow is over. When we die, it's a perfect rest. You don't, have, you don't know any passage of time. I remember we used to go on, uh, when we'd go on trips as a, as a kid, uh, I, I would think, man, if I sleep, it's going to make the trip go much faster. Right? Well, when we go to sleep in Jesus, the, the, the people that died a thousand years ago and the people that died last week that are sleeping in Jesus, it's going to be like the same amount of time for them. But So when they're, when they're awake, though, the, the heartache is over. All the disappointments of life are over. That's why the Bible says in Psalms 115, 17, The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. Now, you would think if it were true that you know, people go to heaven when they die, is, uh, if they were in heaven, you, you would think they would praise the Lord, right? They're in heaven. I mean, we would be praising the Lord. We'd be worshiping Him. But it says, the dead do not praise the Lord. But if they're in heaven, what are they doing? <laughs> when I go to heaven, I want to praise the Lord. Amen? I want to praise the Lord here on earth. You know, it's amazing that in 1,600 places where the Bible mentions the soul the Bible never uses the term immortal soul. But throughout the Bible, it describes death as a sleep. The Bible talks about the resurrection. It talks about the coming of Christ. It talks about the graves being opened. The Bible is very plain about the subject of death. When that loved one died as a believer, their life was hidden with Christ in God. He has preserved their true identity. They sleep. There is no uh, perceived passage of time. They don't know what about any of the trials or the difficulties that their loved ones or their friends are experiencing here on earth. As Christ comes, He calls, John, come forth. Mary, come forth. The graves are opened and we are caught up to meet Jesus in the air. And we ascend to meet Jesus, Christ who died on the cross for us. Amen. I'm looking forward to that day. But you say, but what about the thief on the cross? What about the thief on the cross? What, you know, well, you got to explain this. How do you explain this away? Because, you know, what did Jesus mean when he spoke to the thief on the cross? And he promised, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Didn't that mean that he was going to go with him to paradise on that day? The wording seems to imply that, right? That he would go to paradise that same day. But rightly understood, there is no confusion. Christ was saying, I promise you today, you will be with me in paradise. See, it matters where the punctuation was. When there is a, there is a question of interpretation, we examine what is questionable by what is clear. Did Christ himself go to paradise that day? No, he did not. Let's let Jesus answer. You remember that uh, Jesus was crucified on Friday. He rested in the tomb on Sabbath. But on Sunday, the first day of the week, he was resurrected from the dead. And although Mary did not recognize him first, look what happened when she finally did and rushed to fall at his feet in worship. It's 
an interesting story. John verse, uh, chapter 20, verses 15 through 17, it says, Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, Teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Friends, how could it be, how could Christ have said to the thief on the cross on Friday that he would meet him in paradise that day when Jesus himself didn't go until Sunday? the first day of the week. He said to Mary, Don't touch me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. If we believe Jesus met the thief in heaven on Friday, it contradicts the entire Bible teaching on death. Second, if Jesus had not yet ascended to his Father until Sunday morning, then how could he have told the thief on Friday that he would be in paradise that day? Is Jesus contradicting himself here? Is there anybody who would be comfortable saying that Jesus contradicted himself? I don't think so. So when we encounter an apparent contradiction in the Bible, we immediately realize that something is wrong. Not with the Word of God, but with our limited understanding. How do we know how to interpret this verse? Well, when God says 53 times that death is sleep, when God says 1,600 times there is no immortal soul, when the Bible says that the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing in Ecclesiastes 9.5, we know that Christ did not teach that the thief had an immortal soul that would go immediately to heaven at death. So what did Jesus mean when he said to the thief, Today you will be with me in paradise? When Jesus said, I say unto you today, this day that I am dying on the cross, this day that I have apparently been stripped of my power. This day when men and women are ridiculing me. This day with blood running down my face. This day with the crown of thorns on my head. This day that doesn't look like I can save anybody. I say to you today. This day you will be with me one day in paradise. Because I am going to be resurrected from the dead, and as I ascend to heaven, your name is written on my hand. And as I ascend to heaven, I will ascend there with your name on my lips. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? But thanks be... Verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, have you lost a husband or a wife or a loved one by death? Do you sometimes go to the grave of your loved one and kneel and put flowers there? The good news is that death has lost its sting. The good news is that death has lost its hold. The good news is the grave cannot hold us because Jesus Christ went into the grave. He came out of the grave and our life is hid in 
with Christ in God. Amen? Amen. Our identity, identity is solid in Christ. Our name is on His lips. He, he's written pardon on the palms of His hands. And when He comes again, He will say, John, come forth. Mary, come forth. When Christ comes, He knows your name. When Christ comes, He calls your name. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And they who are alive and remain will be together to meet with the Lord in the air. Or to meet with them in the, in the air. So they're caught up together. So the, the dead in Christ are resurrected. And as they start to rise, those who are alive and remain and who did not experience death, they are caught up together with those who are dead to meet the Lord in the air. If they're already in heaven, why do they come down and be resurrected and come out of the graves again to go up to, to heaven? It just doesn't make sense. All the Bible points to one glorious climactic event. Why have Christians down through the ages longed for the second coming of Christ? Why? Because they believe that at the second coming of Christ, the dead would be resurrected and they would meet their dead loved ones again. Amen? We would have received glorious and immortal bodies and we would be caught up together to meet with the Lord in the air. Notice verse 17. It says, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. When Jesus comes streaming down the sky, the, the dead are resurrected. They are given the glorious and immortal bodies. We will see that baby that we have laid in the grave. We'll see it again. The father that died of cancer, you will see again. The mother that you have lost, you can embrace again. That husband that wife, together, we are all caught up to meet Christ in the sky. Think of the excitement. Think of the thrill that flows through our bodies. A husband and wife are reunited. They're alive when Christ comes and are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Their son ascends with them. Their daughter, who died at age nine, is resurrected and joins them in the air as well. Friends, that's going to be an exciting day. Even in facing death, we can hold the hand of Christ. We can completely trust this Christ who lays our loved ones in the grave. This Christ who holds them close to His breast and lets them rest. This Christ that has the, their identity in His mind. Christ who has marked their tomb. This Christ who will resurrect them from the dead. If you've lost a loved one at death, you can say tonight, Precious Lord Take my hand. Precious Lord, give me that peace. Give me that comfort. Give me that security. Precious Lord, help me to know that this loved one as a believer is safe and secure in your arms. Lord, comfort my heart. Lord, give me or keep me from looking at that day when Jesus will come and the dead will be resurrected. Keep me looking for that day. Friends, we don't have to be afraid 
of death when we have Jesus on our side? Why not bow your head now, right now, and then just imagine the scene. Christ comes, the earth gives up its dead, the sky is illuminated with the glory of God, and the graves are opened up. Why not reach up right now and say, Precious Lord, take my hand. Perhaps the most wonderful thing you can learn on this subject of death is the God, that God himself in Revelation 21 verse 4 states in true and faithful words that on the day, that the day is coming when there will be no more death. Wouldn't it be a tragedy to miss out on the resurrection, to miss out on eternity in a land where there will be no death, nor sorrow, nor crying, and no more pain? The Bible offers us a glimpse of just such a place, and tonight, friends, you and I can accept that gift of eternal life and hope, the hope of sharing in God's immortality. Amen? Friends, let's stand together if that's your desire. If that's what you want, let's stand together. Some of you have already decided to be baptized, but I want to have a special prayer for you. And I'd like to ask you to come forward uh, and we can pray together. I want to have that special prayer for you tonight uh, all together. So just meet me down here and um, we can pray together. Uh, some of you I've already spoken with and uh, have expressed to me that you would like to be baptized Maybe you're thinking of being baptized. Come on up here, brother. You can come up here with me. And uh, so some of you are, are thinking of being baptized. Uh, we haven't discussed it yet, maybe, but maybe you're, you're considering it or thinking about it. Um, come, up, come up here with me, and, um, and we can pray together. Uh, have a special prayer together. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for those who have uh, expressed that they would like to be baptized. Maybe there's some others here that have been thinking about it, didn't have the courage to come forward right now. That's okay, Lord. I pray that you would continue to work on them and soften their hearts. Lord, you, only you know who those are. And um, Lord, I just want to pray especially for my brother here, as he's made that decision, that uh, you would... Uh, bless him and keep him hold him close lord you've seen everyone who's standing here for the decision that we've that they've made of wanting to be ready for your soon coming wanting you to stand up for them to stand on their side if we ever have to sleep the the sleep of death lord that you will raise us up one day and we can be reunited with our loved ones who are sleeping in the arms of jesus Lord, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.